Uh, my name is Adam. I'm one of the Immerse interns here with Young Adults, and it is my privilege to continue on in the series of Fish Tales. Uh, we're going through the book of Jonah, um, and I'm excited to continue on in this series. Uh, we've got one week left after this, but uh, something that I've learned about myself um, as I've gone through 29 years of life, uh, I don't like change, and I don't like being wrong. Uh, those two things together, I, I don't like change and I don't like being wrong. Uh, for, so for example, this week, um, my wife and I are house-sitting for her, her grandparents, so it's a new bed. I, I don't like the bed, it's like stiff, a little bit uncomfortable, and it's very quiet where they live. Like I'm used to all, this, all the sounds of the cars passing by and everything kind of coming by, and like, this is nice, this is what I'm used to. Like I, I am a creature of habit. Like I, I, I like who I am, I like the way that my life goes. Like, I, I, I'm in control of it, and I, and I like status quo. That's, like, I, I just, I don't like change. I don't like transitions. But with that, I, I, also, I also don't like being wrong. Like, I, I have a really hard time with being wrong. So often, I, I will just be quiet instead of saying something, because I, I fear that I could be wrong in a situation. That I, that I could make a mistake, that I could err in a particular manner, and like, so I'd rather just be, be silent in those things. Because I, I, I have a little bit of like, I struggle with perfectionism. Like if I envision something going the way that it should, I, I hope that it actually f- like comes to, to, to be that way. And so, so change and being wrong are, are very two difficult things. And, it, and those two things together make repentance for myself really difficult. Because repentance requires both of those things to be true, that, that, that I'm going to change and that I am admitting myself that like, not only do I do wrong, but that there's something inherently wrong with myself, that at, at the core of myself, I am a sinner. And that I'm in, in desperate need of change, not, not just in my behavior, but that my heart needs to be continued to be softened and changed by who God is. To know his goodness and his graciousness and his love and knowing that I, I need to come before him and admit that I am a sinner, that, I, that I'm wrong. And I, I think it's those things that we can I'll probably feel like we've experienced those things, like the idea of being wrong and just not liking change. But I think it's that also coupled with the idea that like we have far too small a view of sin and an equally inadequate view of who God is. And we, we do that by justifying. We say, oh, it's, it's really not that big of a deal. Like I, I was hungry. They were rude to me. It's justifiable. Or everyone else was doing the same thing. So why does it really matter? Nobody, nobody else saw it, it was just me, so like I, I'm free to continue to live in my sin. And we can say those things, but when we do those things, I think that we're, we're, trying, we're, we're justifying and saying that like, sin is not condemnable and that God can just like wink his eye at the fact that we're sinners. And that's a hard place to be in, but I think we need to remind ourselves that, that the feeling, the weight, I hope that we feel the weight of our sin, but as we, as we become, def- as we start to sense the weight of our own sin, the glorious goodness of who God is is actually that much better. That as we turn to him, as we put our trust in him, that we realize that repentance changes everything. That as we make that turn from sin to to Jesus and putting our trust in him, that everything begins to change in our life. And that's what we're going to focus on tonight as we work through Jonah 3, this idea that Repentance changes everything. So we're going we're gonna to walk through this story in, in two points, and then it's going to close with, like, how do we respond? So we're going to look at how, how Nineveh repents, 
God relents, and then how, how, how is young adults here on a Friday night, how do we actually respond about this message of repentance? Uh, so if you turn with me in, in uh, Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, that's where we're going to be tonight. This is what it says, Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from his violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn his fierce anger so that we may, not, we may not perish. And finally, in verse 10, it says, When God saw that what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. So we see this first point that, that Nineveh repent, uh, wow, Nineveh repents. And we, I think before we see that, we actually see that I would say that, that, that Jonah actually repents himself. If you guys remember back to the first two chapters, we see that, that Jonah, this, this prophet of God, was, was sent out to, to go declare a message to Nineveh. But what, what does he do instead? He, he runs the total opposite direction. Like, he, he, he's like, I, I'm out of here. I, I don't want to do this, God. This is not for me. This is not, this is not it. And so he flees to Tarshish, and, and as he's doing that, he's on a boat and he, and he meets these sailors, and as, as they're boating along, this, this great storm comes up. And as he's on the boat, they're like, okay, hey, well, what, what is causing this storm? And they, they finally narrow it down to the fact that Jonah's been, been disobedient, and they're like, hey, we got to get this guy overboard. And in the process, they themselves turn to God. They repent. Jonah gets cast overboard, and he gets swallowed up by a big fish. And he's in this fish for three days. That's a long time to be in a fish. And as, he, and, and as he's, I've never been in a fish. I don't know about you guys. So like, Jonah's the only guy that I'm aware of. But he, but he cries out. He cries out in prayer and has this change of heart. He understands what he's done, and, and, and he's fleeing from God. And he says, actually, no, like I, salvation belongs to you, Lord. And so we see this great storm, we see this great fish, and he cries out in prayer. And I, and I, and I think that we see this transition in his life. We see that he, he's been given a second chance to actually go out and to proclaim this message. And, and instead of running this time, he actually, he actually proclaims the message to Nineveh. So he, he enters into the great city of Nineveh and he, and he proclaims this message, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's not, that's not a very long message. In the Bible, like in the actual Hebrew, it's five words. O only five words. I've said way more than five words already, and yet this whole city of Nineveh repents. Like some, some say that it's like the greatest 
sermon of all time. A, a whole city repents after hearing these five words. And I, and I think that's like a little bit astonishing that, that Nineveh reacts in this way. They, they don't like meet him with disbelief or just like toss away what he's saying. They're actually like, no, there, there's something to this. There, there's something going on with what he's saying. They don't dismiss it. They don't try and justify, but they actually, they actually, it says that they believe God and what God is proclaiming to them through Jonah. And their whole disposition seems to start to change. So not only just like their mentals of like what they believe, but actually in their actions as well. Like how they're, how they're going about and carrying, and, and carrying out their life. This inward change then produces this outward change in their life. And they're like, Something, something's got to change. There, a turn needs to be made. And so they, they issue this, this fast and they issue people to wear these sackcloths, even for the animals to do so as well, which is like a crazy plea for the, on their behalf of like something, something's got to change and God's got to take notice of, of the evil that we're doing. We no longer want to be a part of this. And I, I think the crazy thing is, is that like in doing this, Nineveh would have had their own gods. They would have had their own prescribed manners of how they actually would have taken a message like this. They would have like started sacrificing things. They would have done all sorts of weird things in order to appease whatever god they felt like they'd upset. But instead, they, they take on these practices that were very common for the people of God to do, of the fasting, the sackcloth, and rubbing themselves in ashes. And for us, that seems like such a, a foreign practice, but these practices together were to show that they actually had like a mourning heart. Because like food is, food is a necessity, so they're like, okay, well, we, we can do without food. Like our hearts are in such, they're so rot that they're like, we, we, need, to, we need to change. I, I can do away with the, with the comforts of life in my, my regular tunic. I'm gonna throw on a goat skin instead. Like that is what they presume that a sackcloth is. Like, I don't know if you've been to a petting zoo, but go hug a goat next time and see if that's comfortable to do that for multiple days. But this is what they take to do. They, they're like, something, something needs to change in my life. I need to make a turn. And it's not just the lowly people that are like, maybe God will spare me. It works its way all the way up to the king. From the greatest to the least is what it says is that everyone in this whole city repented. Like, that, that, that is astonishing to me. To think of, like, if, we, if a message were to come to Canada from everyone from Justin Trudeau to the newest born baby in this, like, August, repenting. Like, it, it, honestly, it, it seems impossible. And the idea of a whole city repenting seems more impossible than a man being swallowed up by a fish. And yet here we have 120,000 people from a king to the lowest person turning from their wicked ways acknowledging that they've done wrong, acknowledging that something needs to change within their life and that they have gone against God and what he desires for them in their life. And I think it's truly beautiful to see this happen within the city of Nineveh, that they are actually relinquishing control of their life, saying like, it's not up to me. Like if, if God desires to relent and turn and not actually bring judgment to us, then like we'll do whatever it takes. The humility that is necessary for them to take that on is, is massive. This is a city that was taking people's lips and their noses as like cruel means of like, I, if I were Jonah, I would not want to go there. 
Like people are taking their lips. I, I like the way my face is. I don't want to lose my lips. And yet we see this radical transformation within this city. We see them go from being maimers of bodies to, to putting on sackcloth and having this change within their mind and, and, and it impacting their actions. Who knows? Maybe God will relent. But I, I don't think that their, their repentance was... Uh, mainly about how sorry they felt, but it was about themselves casting themselves upon God's mercy. It wasn't like, what, what could we bring to the table, but rather, like, who knows, maybe God will turn and show mercy to us and relent. They recognized that repentance is about what God is doing, not what we can do to gain any kind of merit before his eyes. So as we look at this, we see that this chapter not only reveals that repentance, that, there isn't, that we have a need for repentance, but that it shows us what the beautiful character of God is like. That true repentance is lived out and met with God's relenting mercy. That these people decide to, to change everything about them from the way that they think to their, to their actions, to their clothing, because they, they believe it's worth changing for because they believe who God is and that he actually is a relenting and merciful God. So that, that's what we see in, in verse 10. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said would, that he would do to them, and he did not do it. I think it's important that we take note as we read scripture of any time that we see anything about God's character revealed to us. Because it, like if, the, if this book is revealing who God is, we need to take it at face value and say God, God is a, a merciful and relenting God. That he's, that he's constant and consistent in his character and, and the pages of the Bible reveal that to us. But we're, we're kind of at a, like an impasse a little bit of like, well, I thought God was upset about what Nineveh had, did, had done. Like it says in chapter one, like did they, the, the fierce evil of Nineveh has come up against the Lord, and he's like not pleased about it. So he's like, this is why I'm sending you, Jonah. So, so what gives here? Like, what, what is actually happening? What, how do we make sense of this? Well, if you go to Jeremiah 18, uh, so another prophet in the Bible, Jeremiah, this is what God says about himself. He says, that if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent to the disaster that I intended to do to it. Anytime that a, a nation or a person or a city decided to turn, God would show relenting mercy to them. And in that we see God's character of who he actually is. That he is a merciful God. And that we can take him to account for that and saying, like, God, I, if you were merciful... Let's actually, let's actually see that. And so we, if, I think one of the most beautiful parts of Scripture that is actually covered in, in, in chapter 4 of this book, but it's also earlier in Exodus and is used repeatedly throughout, but Exodus 34, this is how God reveals himself to Moses. He says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but, by, but who will by no means clear the guilty, 
So we see that God is, is merciful and he's slow to anger and he's gracious and, and abounding in steadfast love, but he's also a God that is just. He is a God that will not leave the guilty unpunished. And so it's hard also to make sense of that as well. Like, what do we do? Like, was Nineveh not guilty? Are, are we not guilty people? What do, we, what do we do with that? Well, we need to put our hope and trust in, in the one that has taken on the wrath of God. And it is he himself in the form of Jesus who has allowed us to be freed from the wrath that we deserve. Nothing else, no other person, no other thing, not any sackcloth, potato sack, whatever you're putting on, none of those things will save you. It is Jesus alone that will save you from the wrath that we all deserve because of our sinful nature. And it is through his sacrificial atonement, the dying the death that we deserve, living a life that we couldn't, in order that we may be in right relationship with God that is what allows us to avoid that impending wrath of God. He is the one that takes the brunt of God's wrath. He is the one that allows us to be extended mercy to. It is him alone, no other thing. For in Romans 5, it says this, but God shows his love for us, shows his love to each one of us, that through his son, or for, uh, for uh, God shows his love for us while we were still sinners, that, that Christ, his son, died for us, for, for you. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We, we have been made right before God because of what Jesus has done for us. And we can trust that and we can know that and we can know that God will relent because of what Christ has done for us. And so we need to, we need to trust in knowing that. We need to trust and actually be people that repent before God and confess our sins to him because in the, the book of 1 John, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we put our trust in Jesus, something happens. When we turn from sin and put our trust in Jesus, our life changes forever. Repentance changes the fact that we, we go from being sinners to slaves, slaves of sin to being slaves of righteousness. We go from being people that um, are sinners to being justified. We go from being enemies of God to being called children of God. Like a, a, Everything changes when we decide to put our faith and trust in who Jesus is and we actually turn from our sinful ways and put our trust in who he is. So if, if this is the God that we see within the book of Jonah, if this is the, the God that reveals himself to be merciful and relenting when we repent, how, how then do we respond as a young adults community? How, how do we respond because of this thing? Well, I, I think the first thing that we need to do as people is we actually need to repent. And this, and this felt, I don't know, it, I felt like this was a really difficult passage to work through because like there should be great celebration because the city of Nineveh repented. But, but I, I find in my life coming up here tonight, I was like, am I actually a repentant person? Do I actually have a desire to come before the Lord and say, I'm, I'm wrong. Lord, I, I need you. And that's a difficult place to be sometimes, but I, I earnestly encourage us to be people that have a desire to turn from our sinful ways and recognize that we are sinful people and are in deep need of a Savior. 
We need to turn from our sin and we need to turn to Christ. And I think when we, when we do that, our, our, our typical tendency is to say, like, I'm going to turn from doing bad things and I'm going to turn to doing good things. And we, and we simply make it a behavior modification. Okay, I'll, 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 I'll stop doing this, I'll stop being lustful, and I'll just, like, I'll put the blinders on. I'll, I'll stop being greedy, and then maybe I'll, I'll, I'll tithe. I won't gossip anymore. I'm just going to be really encouraging, but still have a, a pretty calloused heart towards people. I think when we do that, we open up ourselves to, to legalism. That it's just about doing the right things and, and stopping doing the wrong things. And if we begin to think that like the, the main part of repentance is just new behavior and not actually communing with who Jesus is and realizing who we are in Jesus Christ, we're in deep trouble. And we start to preach this anti-gospel to ourselves that it's in our own ability just to do better next time. That if I just keep on doing good things and stop doing the bad things, I'll just keep doing better. But if our, if our response after, after we sin is this, that God, I promise I'll do better, then, then where, where is your hope? Your hope, your hope is in yourself. And I don't, know what you, I don't know about you, but every time I put hope in myself, I, I, I lead myself to a path of destruction and disappointment. But on the other hand, what, what if our response was, God, I need you. Give me a, a fresh measure and, and vision of who your son Jesus is and all the benefits that come with knowing your son Jesus. And then I think that our hope is actually in him and not in ourselves and that we can learn to be faithful to God in those things and that we don't have to worry about this idea of legalism but that we can experience the full measure of the gospel and that we can start to enjoy this walk of life with Christ that is joyful and refreshing and continue to grow in holiness. Um, a resource that Freddie put me on to, his name is Thomas Watson. Uh, he has some really wise things to say about repentance. And so he's written this thing called The Doctrine of Repentance. Uh, you can find a PDF of it online if you want. If you want to go home and read it, I would encourage you. It's not super long. Um, a lot of like bolded stuff, so you can just get the highlights if you want. But um, this is what he says. He says there needs to be sight of sin, sorrow for sin, confession of sin, hatred of sin, and turning from sin. So I'm going wor- to work through those and, and why, obviously, they're important. Uh, we need to have sight of our sin. This means having like an actual awareness or an acknowledgement of the fact that we are sinful people. For me, that, that took a really long time. Like I, I would acknowledge that sin was a real thing, but I would... I would hardly acknowledge the fact that I myself was a sinner. And so if you are here tonight and you have never acknowledged the fact that like, you are a sinful person, tonight can be that night in which you repent, in which you turn from the ways of saying, no, I, this, this is not what God has for me in my life. That God's beautiful design is that we may come to know him and enjoy him forever and delight in him, delight in him and that only comes through having faith in Jesus Christ. But we actually need to have sight of our sin, and that comes through being awakened by the Holy Spirit. That is why the Spirit came. The Spirit came to convict us of sin, 
to bring awareness of what is actually righteousness in our lives, but also like the impending wrath that is to come for those that don't believe. And that's why I think like that's a heavy message for tonight because the actual reality of what happens when we don't repent, if we continue to live in sin. I, I, I felt the great weight of that, of knowing that like there's ramifications for those that do not turn and put their faith in Jesus Christ and that is eternal separation from him. So do not hesitate. Do not fail to acknowledge the sin in your life. To be awakened to the fact that you are in desperate need of a Savior and you need to continue to turn and take that step of realizing that repentance changes everything. Sorrow for sin is the next thing. You actually need to have a, a sorrow or a, a sorrowful response in, in when you think about your sin. Um, it's, it's not the same as like when you get caught doing something bad and you're like, oh, dang, I, I screwed up. And that like sort of like your heart gets erased a little bit quick and you're like, your stomach gets a little bit queasy. Not, not something that's brought upon by that, but actually having like a deep-rooted understanding that like what your sin keeps you separate from God. Like God cannot be in the presence of sin. And so that actually grieves God. It actually grieves the Holy Spirit. But that's a hard line because, like, I understand what it's like to be caught in your actions. Like, my first couple of years, my, like, my first year of moving to Abbotsford, I was pulled over four times, I think. Um, some of them were warranted. I'll justify. Uh, some of them were not, though. One of them, anyways. There's one in particular. There's one in particular. I was leaving a coffee shop, and I was pulling down McCallum, and I grabbed my phone quickly because it buzzed. Next thing I know, I look up, and there's a police officer in that gas station, like right before the exit onto the highway, that's like, waves me in. Um, it became a great illustration for that night, because I was preaching that night, but it also becomes a great illustration tonight, because in that moment, someone asked me after that NYA night, and they're like, oh, I'm so glad that you feel bad about it. He's like, or wait, like, do you feel bad about it, or do you just feel bad that you got caught? And I was like, that is a great question. I, I, I think that I honestly only felt bad about it because that I was caught. And I think that is often the case for us when in, in our sin. That we have an emotional response to it because we're like, ah, oh, dang, I, I shouldn't have done this. But I don't think it's actual true sorrow about our sin in our life. Does, does the Spirit actually move you to be grieved by your sin? To actually, to actually be upset about it in a way that moves you to want to repent and to change? Next, that we need to confess our sin. We actually need to like call out the specifics of the sin, not just general vague things of, Lord, forgive me for I am a sinner. Like that, that, is, that is a wonderful start, but I, I think if we become more particular in our sins, the better to actually confess those things before other people. Whether it be our pride, our, our gossiping, our slander of people, our laziness, our lust, whatever it might be, to be be specific about those particular things, to, to confess those before other people. I'm a part of a, a prayer group on Tuesday mornings, me and like eight other dudes. Uh, we meet at Tim Hortons early on Tuesday mornings, and we pray. And as part of that, uh, often through our cycle of things, we will take time just to confess before each other. Generally, I like, I'm like, I don't want to say anything. I don't, I don't want to do it. 
because I, I care way too much about what my peers think about me and, and would much rather prefer to be secretive about things than to like, have Freddie or Craig or Luke know that I'm, I'm struggling with sin. But, but we need to confess those things. We need to bring those things to the light and actually understand that it's important that we confess before others. That we can't do it alone, that we can't just continue to live a life of secrecy. But there, there needs to be a light shone on our life and say, what, like, what's in the corner over there? Or have you dealt with that sin that you've just been carrying like a heavy weight on your back for years, but have not yet confessed before anybody? Do you value your own self-preservation and human secrecy above God's glory? Will you take the step to actually confess your sin before other people? Find, find people that you can confide in. Find people that you trust and you're like, I, I want to I do this. I, I want to walk a, a, the Christian life out well. I don't want to continue to stumble. Con- confess before your peers. And as we continue to do these things, I, I think that we move from these acknowledgments of sin and this hatred of sin or acknowledgement of sin and confessing of sin and sorrow for sin we actually start to produce this hatred of sin is what thomas watson talks about you actually begin to despise the sin in your life and as you grow in relationship with the lord you'll begin to adore what he adores and you'll start to abhor what he abhors so like hate what he hates but i i get it that sin is alluring it's like no, it, it produces cravings for you. You're like, oh man, I, I remember that was, that was good. I felt good about that. It's kind of like fast food. And you're like, haven't had it for a while. And you drive by those golden arches and you're like, mmm. McChicken? Oh, two please. McDouble? I'll hit that. And those first few bites are like, man, those are glorious bites. But like the way you feel right after, you're like, man, that is bad news. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm not going to McDonald's tonight anymore. But that idea of like, it, it's that tempting and alluring craving of sin comes, but then the enemy has this, this, this trick of like, here's the beautiful package of sin, and then as soon as you do it, you're condemned by it. So we need to remove ourselves from situations in which we even allow ourselves to be there. The environments that are alluring and entertaining for us, the, the idea of putting ourselves in a place that we are prone to sin is a, is a bad place to be in. Will you learn to grow in your hatred for sin? Will you actually continue to mature and understand that like, sin is the worst thing possible and, and the, the amount that it actually grieves God? Continue to be steadfast in that hatred for sin and calling it out in other people's lives as well. And finally, I think all of this produces a turning from sin. In all these things, we are being transformed wholly, fully by the Holy Spirit. He gives us the acknowledgement in sight of sin. He grows us in a desire to confess and move from a longing for sin to a longing for righteousness. We must continue to turn from sin and turn to Christ to remove ourselves from those environments in which we are prone to continue to sin, we actually need to repent and turn to Christ. And so I, I understand that the idea, the concept of turning seems like a simple one, of just like, stop doing this and turn to Jesus. 
And so if someone were to tell you, hey, just like make, as, as you're walking down like S&D and someone says, hey, turn this way, like it's a quick turn. And then like when we think about repentance, that's often how we think about it. But often the actual turning that is required in repentance is more like one of those great like freight shippers off the coast of Vancouver. Tell that thing to turn. That takes a lot longer. And if you continue to live in a way in which you're like, I'm just going to keep this secret. I'd rather be, I'd rather save face with people. I'd rather think people highly of me. That ship's even harder to turn. And so I encourage us, I implore us that we need to be people that bit by bit, as we are sanctified by the Spirit, would find that that turn becomes a little bit easier because we have a habit of it. That we keep a short account before God and say, God, I, I have sinned before you. You alone have I sinned against. Father, forgive me because I know that you are faithful, that you are a merciful God, that I can trust your character and I can know who you are and I can believe that you will relent and turn because of your son, Jesus. Look, we don't, we don't repent because it makes ourselves feel better or because it's easy. We repent because we've declared that we follow Jesus. And he teaches us to be holy. We repent because he is transforming us so that we long to love others and we long to love God. So in why we, we must be people that repent. And finally, I, I believe that we are people that need to share this, me- this message, carry this message of repentance with other people as well. Just like Jonah did. Jonah carried this message of repentance to the city of Nineveh, and they repented. They believed, and they turned from their sinful ways. Uh, This is a city that had all the odds stacked against them. It'd be like going to modern-day Las Vegas and saying to the sin city, repent. And so we, too, carry a message, but I think our message is one that is of greater hope and assurance because of the way that Jesus talks about it. In Matthew 12, this is what he says. He says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, We wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is far greater than Jonah. Jonah Jonah carried a great message, but Jesus is even better because he's accomplished everything for us. He's saying, repent and put your trust in me. And that is a really... Sorry. I think I I dealt with that sometimes. This week I had a, a really hard time with the idea of just people repenting in general. And, and the magnitude of a whole city repenting, as I said earlier, it, it blows my mind a little bit because I have yet to see someone that I know in my personal life go from a life of darkness and, and wanting nothing to do with God and actually coming to know him. And I'm sure that might be the case for some of you here tonight, that there are people in your life that you just long and wish would turn and know and taste the goodness of who Jesus is. And so I, I had to wrestle with God this week. If God, why, why have I not seen that 
yet. And a friend reminded me this week of Adam, just continue to plant seeds. Just continue to, to pray for people. Continue to share that message of repentance. To share the good news of the gospel. To simply plant seeds. We, we have this message that we can share with others. It's a message that I, I assume that the majority of us have taken personally in our life here. Because we're, we're here on a Friday night. Maybe you have different reasons. But to some level or magnitude, you, you know about the gospel, you know what it means and, and the ramifications for your own life. And so what does it mean for you to carry this to other people? So I, I implore you, I encourage you to, to pray for people that do not know the Lord. That they would repent. Pastor Mark, he's been plugging the five by five by five um, since January. Five people, five days a week, five minutes. Who are those people in your life that you would long to see actually turn and come to know the Lord? Do you, do you pray for those people? Have you, have you given up because you're like, Lord, it's been too long. I'm tired of waiting. Or do you come before the Lord with expectation and say, God, you are merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love. I want to see you move in this person's life. Would you do so? Take Take that and, and, and bold opportunities to share with other people, whether it be on your campus, whether it be at your workplace. Actually take a step of boldness and obedience to like strike up a conversation. Maybe you don't share the gospel right away, but maybe you get into it a few weeks from now. Continue to plant those seeds and share of, of who God is, of what his character is like, his goodness, and what he has done for us and accomplished for us in his son Jesus so that they may actually repent and believe. Preach, preach the good news to those that you know. And finally, young adults, I, I pray that we would be people that trust that salvation belongs to the Lord. That it's he alone that accomplishes these things. And so trust that he will do so. That he is sovereign over all things and that if that is his will, that that will actually happen. But continue to, to plant seeds, to continue to actually share and pray and trust in his relenting mercy. So um, we may be a people uh, who, yeah, I, my prayer is that we would be people that live out a life of repentance, that there'd be actual evidence of that within our lives. And then in doing so, we would experience the relenting mercy of our God and actually trust that repentance changes everything. Let me, let me pray for us. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your character. Thank you that you're consistent in your character, that you are merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love. But Father, we are grateful that you are also a just God and that um, you have made amends for us through your son Jesus that we can come to know you and that we can turn from our sin. That we don't have to continue to live in a life of disobedience, but that we can forever follow you and know you and continue to trust in you because of what he has done for us and what he has accomplished. So, Father, I pray that your spirit would move within us tonight, that we would be people that recognize the sin in our life, that we would be people that are sorrowful because of the sin in our life, and that we would have a desire to confess that, and that we would have a desire to actually turn from our sin and know that you desire for us to turn to you instead. 
Father, that is not a human work. That is only through the miraculous work of your spirit. So, Father, I pray that your spirit would do that miraculous work in all of us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.